Well, we are still taking a break from our study in Ephesians uh, due to the needed shifts we needed to make in the teaching schedule. Uh, and in order to introduce the kind of one-off passage that we'll be studying this morning, uh, I want to remind you of the existence of something. Maybe some, of, maybe some of you don't know about this, but I think most of you do. I want to remind you about the existence of something called the Flat Earth Society. If you don't know what the Flat Earth Society is, let me inform you or remind you. Uh, this is a group of people that completely seriously, they believe that the Earth is flat and that it is not round. I'm not joking. And what's fascinating is that they will people that actually hold to this, not in a joking manner, like some of you guys would totally, like jokingly be like, oh, I believe in the flat earth, you know, like as a joke. But like these people like actually believe that. And if you engaged with them, they would sincerely debate with you. So if you sought to come to them and be like, um, so what about like NASA? What about these videos that we have, these satellite photos that we have? What about, you know, various scientific experiments that you can do to prove this. And they'll have arguments for saying, you know, this is fake, or, but we have an experiment that says this. They'll, they'll legitimately debate with you. They'll engage with you. And what's unfortunate about this is that they're, serially, they're sincerely believing something that isn't true, right? They, they've been deceived, and they are now kind of enslaved to that way of thinking in that particular realm. Fortunately, it doesn't necessarily affect the rest of their life. Uh, and yet, it is something that is, in some ways, kind of tragic to consider, that they believe something that isn't true, that they've been s deceived into believing it. And I would hate for any of you to do something similar, not just when it comes to believing that the Earth is flat, but deceived into believing that your eternity is secure when it's not when nothing could be farther from the truth. See, in your head, you could accept the knowledge of everything we've been going through in the book of Ephesians so far, and yet you could still be dead in your transgressions. Jesus, in the passage that we're going to look at, is going to show us the difference between spiritual slavery and spiritual salvation. How to know the difference, how to know whether or not you're being deceived. But before we get to that passage, we need to look at two passages in the Old Testament to help establish some context. So first, I want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12. In this section of the book of Genesis, God has called Abram, soon to be called Abraham. And he's giving him a promise, starting in verse 1 of chapter 12. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And this is the, the primary important part of this promise. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So that's our first passage of context. Keep that, keep that in mind. Our next passage is going to be in the book of Exodus. Just one book over. Exodus chapter 3. Many years have passed since God gave that promise to Abram, now Abraham. 
he had Isaac, who had Jacob, who had his 12 sons, which became the tribes of Israel. And Israel is now thousands, if not millions strong at this point. And they're in the land of Egypt. They're enslaved. And God comes to a man named Moses. And he tells Moses, I want you to go to the people of Israel and I want you to, you're going to do these things, you're going to perform these signs, and you're going to lead my people out of there. I'm rescuing them from slavery. Verse 13 of chapter 3 of Exodus. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now, they may say to me, What is his name? So then, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations. And God saying, I am, and that being his name, that, that establishes constant permanence. There was never a time when he wasn't. There is never going to be a time where he won't be. He always is, he always has been, and he always will be. And that's what he's representing by establishing his name as I am. So with that, let's turn to the actual passage we're going to study. And that is in the book of John. We'll be in John chapter eight. As you're turning there, let me fill in the context here. Even more years have passed since God visited Moses. The people were rescued out of slavery, and then they settled in the land of Canaan. They conquered the land. We experienced the time of the judges. We experienced the time of Samuel. We experienced the time of David. All of his generations, the kingdom splits. You have Israel and you have Judah. Israel gets taken away into captivity. Judah remains for a little while, but then eventually Judah gets taken into captivity. Then you have the time while they're in captivity in Babylon and in Assyria and all in Persia and all these other places. Then they eventually come back. And then eventually Jesus comes on the scene and He's in the temple teaching at this point in time, in the chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at verse 31. Verse 31. And the passage we're going to cover is going to be verses 31 through 59. So, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So we come to the title of our lesson. The truth will set you free. And here's what you need to get. If you are a Christian, then you believe and have faith in what is true. And such belief and faith persists. It doesn't, it doesn't falter. And we'll come back to that. And one thing to note before we move on, just to make sure everything is clear here, when it says that Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, that's referencing verse 30, which we didn't read. It says this, as he spoke these things, he was teaching them in the temple, many came to believe in him. And one thing that you need to no take note of, because as Jesus is going to explain, these people who believed in him, and these people that he's talking to, these Jews who had believed in him, they didn't really believe in him. Because as we're going to see, these Jews are going to get very hostile very quickly towards Jesus as Jesus explains to them, here's what, it, here's what it really means to believe in me. 
And I know that you don't believe in me because you actually hold to other things. You're trusting in other things. So this is, this is representing those who had believed him. Those who listened to what Jesus said, and they liked it. They were intrigued by it. They wanted, they, they thought, this is a great teacher. We, we want to follow him. But then Jesus is now going to expose that that's not really what they want to do. And so the points that we're going to cover are six deceptions that keep the Jews enslaved to their sin. And one thing that I want to make sure to point out that the middle school was a little confused on, uh, these are deceptions. So, you're, so make sure you put somewhere that, this is, that all of these points I'm going to give you are deceptions. They're not actually true. Otherwise, you're going to be looking at your notes later. It's going to be like, point four, Jesus was a lunatic. What? <laughs> so make sure these are, these are deceptions. These are not actual truth statements. But it's deceptions that the Jews believed to be true. So after, he t- after Jesus tells these Jews that the truth will set them free, and we'll come back to that at the end, but he tells them that at the outset. How do they respond to this? Verse 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So here's our first deception. Physical ties grant spiritual salvation. Physical ties grant spiritual salvation. The Jews are going, if you are saying that we'll be free, that means that you think that we are currently enslaved to something. But we aren't. We never have been, is what they're claiming. Now, I'm convinced that the Jews are not, you know, forgetting about all of their history like when they were enslaved in Egypt. I think they understand what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is telling them, you need to be freed from something in a spiritual sense. And they're saying, look, we belong to Abraham. Remember, God spoke to Abraham and gave him that promise about how we are going to be a blessing to the rest of the nations. We're his children. We literally come from him. And so we're a part of that promise. We're good. We're fine. We don't have to worry about anything. But Jesus views it differently. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So, If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus says, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your connection is physically. If you have committed one sin, you are enslaved to it, he's saying. And then he gives us an analogy about slaves and sons. As you have been told before, slavery in ancient times is different from American slavery a lot of times people would purposefully sell themselves into slavery for a period of time, for a contractual time period. And when Jesus is talking about slaves here, he first says, all right, if you commit sin, you're a slave of sin. Slaves in households, they didn't have authority. They didn't get to choose just to leave. Or they didn't get to choose if they would go into slavery. No, the household made that decision. The guy in charge made that decision. And Jesus is saying, so slaves, they don't get to choose what they do, and they don't get to stay in a house forever, but the son, the son of that household, the son of the father who's in charge, he does remain forever because he's the son. He came from the father, and so he is going to have authority. He is going to be the one who gets to say, you get to go, you get to stay with any of the slaves in the house. So then Jesus 
after, using, after providing that analogy, says, so, the son, referring to myself, uh, Jesus referring to himself, the son, he remains forever, and so he can set free slaves of sin, is the idea that he's giving there. Essentially, he's making the point that, first of all, your circumstances can't save you, and second of all, once, because you are enslaved to sin, there's nothing you can do about it. Only I can do something about it, Jesus is saying. But Jesus goes on, verse 37, to talk about their claim to Abraham. They, he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. Jesus is saying, you, you guys are claiming to be Abraham's descendants, to be fulfillments of that promise. Well, I, I'm the fulfillment of the promise. If anything, you should be welcoming me as your Messiah, and yet you want to kill me. And then he tells them why. He says it's because his word has no place in them. They might claim to belong to Abraham and claim to have spiritual security and freedom because they do, but Jesus says, I don't claim you. God's word doesn't claim you. And I'm doing what's according to my Father in heaven, and you are doing what's according to a different Father. Your Father is not my Father. You think you belong to the same Father, but you don't. You belong to a different Father. So what's their response to this? Verse 39. They answered him and said to him, Abraham is our Father. What are you talking about? We just told you that Abraham's our Father. Why are you saying... Why are you saying we have a different father and then like you're being vague? Abraham is our father. So this was their second deception, that physical works grant spiritual salvation. The Jews understand what is going on here. Jesus has said, look, physical circumstances don't matter. And they say, okay, fine. But even so, even, even if being direct descendants of Abraham has nothing to do with our salvation, because we are descendants of Abraham, we've grown up in the nation of Israel. We've grown up around the sacrificial system, around the Old Testament law, and they're telling us how to live, telling us what to do, and we're doing those things. And we're accomplishing those things. So even if we can't lay claim to Abraham as our physical father in order to get salvation, we can lay claim to Abraham as our spiritual father. I mean, he's the one who had faith in God. He's the one who obeyed God, who believed God's promise to him way back in Genesis and followed him. We're doing the same thing. We're having faith in God. We're believing in God. We're doing what he tells us to do. He's our spiritual father. But Jesus cuts through all of it, carrying on in verse 39. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. He's saying, you think you're doing what Abraham's doing, but you're not. Says verse 40, but as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, and this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. Again, Jesus is saying, yes, you're right. Abraham had faith in God. Abraham obeyed God. And you are looking at a man right now who is speaking from God, who's speaking for God, who is in fact God himself, as he'll say later, and you want to kill him. Abraham wouldn't do that. Abraham never once experienced the angel of the Lord coming down or God speaking to him and Abraham going, I want to kill you. That never happened. 
And so therefore, Abraham can't be your spiritual father because you're not acting like him. You have a different father. And how do the Jews respond to this? Carrying on, verse 41. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. So here's their third deception. That strong belief grants spiritual salvation. The Jews recognize what is going on here. They, they know Jesus is pushing back and revealing that their motives are giving away that they might be doing the right things and Abraham is, and yet Abraham is not their spiritual father. And so they say, okay, Abraham isn't our spiritual father, but God is. I mean, we, we lay claim to that. They seem to be also getting in a little dig here at Jesus because fornication is intimacy outside of marriage. And there were rumors about Jesus' birth, remember? Because Jesus was born to Mary before Mary and Joseph were officially married. And that would forever taint his social standing everywhere he went. So the Jews are trying to like get a little dig at him here. They're saying, you are claiming that we are not spiritual, that we are not truly the sons of Abraham, either in a physical or a spiritual sense. And so we, but, but you were born outside of marriage, is what they're saying. So therefore, we can still lay claim that we believe in God and he is our father. And Jesus, and it's interesting, they don't really have a good argument here. You might be kind of thinking through that and being like, what? I mean, I, you're saying that, but that doesn't really add anything to your argument. And it doesn't. They're just saying, they're just trying to appeal to a higher authority. And Jesus has quite a response. Verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. So for this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. He's saying, look, you guys are laying claim to God being your father. That's not true because I am from God the Father. I am speaking the words of God the Father, and you're not listening. You're not paying attention. You're not understanding. You're not believing. So you can't possibly be children of God. But you do still have a father, and that father is the one who hates God, is the one who is not full of truth, but the one who is full of lies. And that's why you're believing lies and not the truth. You're children of Satan, he says. And this is just like what we've been studying, is it not? Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked 
according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's speaking of Satan. Of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Guys, understand. If you're not a Christian, you're not just, you're not separate from like the, 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 the struggle. Well, it's not really a struggle. It's, it's over and done. But the, the, as we see it, the current battle between God and Satan, where Satan is raging against him, and you're just kind of over here just observing. No, you are, you are the child of someone. Someone claims you as their child. And it's either God or it's Satan. There's no alternative. On the one hand, you have God, the Father, who loves you, and he wants to rescue you from the punishment that you deserve if you will turn to him. Or on the other hand, it's Satan, who would love nothing better than to see you burn in hell. And he wants to do everything he can to make sure that happens. That's the other father you get to choose. Jesus is making that clear to the Jews. So we've looked at three deceptions so far. And it's time to do a little bit of follow-up application. And trying to wonder where you are in this, do you believe similar lies to the Jews? Maybe not when it comes to the sacrificial system. Maybe not when it comes to Abraham, because I don't think any of you could trace your lineage back to Abraham. But perhaps you believe that physical ties do grant spiritual salvation. You believe that because you come to church, or you believe that because your parents take you to church, or because your parents themselves are Christians, or you believe because you are here at this specific church, a countryside Bible church, at the church where Tom Pennington preaches, that you are a Christian, that just by osmosis, you will absorb the Christianity of this area, of this group, and that makes you a Christian. Guys, it doesn't. Jesus makes that very clear. Your physical circumstances do not grant you salvation. But maybe you believe that physical works grant you spiritual salvation. Salvation. You're, you're, you're not going to believe that just because you're here you're a Christian, but maybe if you come here and you serve, and you work really hard, and you try to be a, a blessing to other people, you try to help other people out, you try to make sure that you're paying attention to all the, those spiritual disciplines that we tell you you're supposed to do. You make sure to read your Bible. You make sure to actually like, pay attention to what the Bible says. You make sure to pray as often as you can. You make sure to ask other people how you can pray for them. You, you try to find ways to be on ministry teams here in youth group or on, in the Sunday worship service. You're trying to do all of these things because that will get you salvation. That will make you saved. If you do those things, that means that you are saved and you believe that. It's not true. Jesus makes very clear that you can claim to be doing all these things and think that that leaves, leads you to spiritual salvation, but it doesn't. Or finally, even if you don't believe those two things, that your connections or what you're doing is going to get you salvation, maybe you're just believing really hard. Despite evidence to the contrary, you're like, look, I'll be fine. I'm not really sure how it'll get there, but I'll be fine. Uh, you just believe really, really strongly in something. And that's what the world tells you to do, right? Just believe. They don't tell you what to believe in. They just tell you, believe. It'll be good. The Jews believed very strongly that despite what Jesus was constantly showing them, that their father was God. He had to be. And Jesus is like, no. You're not doing what God does. You're not actually believing in the truth. That's what you have to believe in to be saved. 
Jesus says, none of these things make you look like one of his true disciples. And what does he constantly go back to in each of his responses? He talks about how the Jews treated him, right? He says, you're not responding to me. I come from the Father. You're not listening to my word, and I'm telling you the Father's words. Guys, it comes back to how you view Christ. It comes back to what you think of him, and that's what we're going to be looking at in these next three deceptions. So, after Jesus has destroyed the Jews' pretense of being his followers, they now turn against him. Verse 48. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? That escalated quickly. They're engaged in like this civil debate and they're suddenly like, you are insane. And you guys, you guys have experienced this type of arguing, have you not? When you're starting to lose an argument or when the person you're arguing with is starting to lose the argument, what does the loser start to resort to? Attacking the person's character. They admit defeat on the side of the actual argument being engaged and instead they try for some type of distraction, some type of verbal assault, some type of insult. And that's what the Jews do here. And their first deception, that they, their, their fourth, excuse me, their fourth deception that they believed in this moment was that Jesus was a lunatic. Jesus was a lunatic. They're saying two things, that one, Jesus is, is a Samaritan, which were hated for being half-breeds and traitors, because they were not truly fully, full-blooded Jews. They were part of the northern tribe, of the northern groups of Israel that had been taken away into Assyria and intermarried, so they weren't pure. But they also say he has a demon. He's saying, look, we've told you that we're the people of God. We're literally Jews. We literally are physically descended from Abraham, and you're saying that God is not our father? Only someone who's demon-possessed would say something like that. Clearly we are. You're just crazy. And Jesus says in verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. He's like, that's not true. But I honor my father, and you dishonor me. He's saying, you're, you're digging a hole for yourself. You're dishonoring me. And there will come a time when th that dishonor is going, you're going to have to pay for that. Because he says in verse 50, but I do not seek my glory. There's one who seeks and judges. He's saying, you're, you're insulting me, and I come from the Father. So God's going to judge you for that, is what he's saying. And then he says in verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, it's almost like he shifts gears. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Where does that come from? Well, it's connected. Because what he just talked about, he said, you're insulting me, and God's going to judge you for that. Speaking of which, if you follow after my word, you won't be judged. You'll be free. You'll be safe. What a statement. But the Jews are no longer paying attention by this point. They're not, they're not interested in further debate and argumentation. Now they just want to shut him down. So they're looking for words for him to say to twist and attack him with. Verse 52, the, the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died. And the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. 
Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died? The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? They're not listening to, to what he's saying. It's clear that Jesus is not saying you're not going to die. He's saying there is one who seeks and judges, God. God's going to bring judgment. But if you follow after my word, you will not suffer that judgment. And they're just saying, ah, you said that nobody's going to die. That's not true. People die all the time. You're a liar. And that's their fifth deception, that Jesus was a liar. They misunderstand his meaning. And I love that phrase at the end because they're just setting themselves up for his response. They say, whom do you make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are? That's what they're saying. To make these kinds of claims. And Jesus says in verse 54, Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. There's a, a, a brief aside I want to make because this is so incredible. Jesus, God in the flesh, God incarnate says that if he glorifies himself, it is nothing. God himself is saying that. He's saying instead, the importance is that God the Father will honor me. I, I trust God the Father to glorify me. I'm not going to try to glorify myself. So a brief aside for you here, if you are a believer in Christ. Jesus himself didn't try to bring himself glory. It happened. People glorified him. People praised him. People honored him. But Jesus did not go out seeking his own glory. And neither should you. It may happen. It's not to say that if somebody praises you for something or someone thanks you for something or someone honors you for something, that that in, itself, in and of itself is a bad thing. But if you are living your life trying to find ways to get people to recognize you, to get people to honor you, to get people to praise you, even Jesus himself did not do that. So, we should take that into consideration in our lives because Jesus makes very clear to the Jews, he's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not making myself out to be anybody. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm going to trust my glory to God. And after he says that, after he exposes that element of himself and also again reminds them, uh, I'm going to let my God glorify me. Oh, by the way, that God who you say is your God, but he's not. And then he adds verse 56. Re remember how they were talking about how Abraham was so important to them and how he was their father? So he turns this back around on them. Verse 56. He says, your father, Abraham. You, you want to talk about Abraham? You want to talk about how he's connected to all of this? I'll tell you. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. What? We just looked at that in Genesis. Abraham lived hundreds of years before Jesus did. What is he talking about? Well, let's turn real quick to the book of Hebrews. So we can get an idea of what, what Jesus is saying here. 
Hebrews chapter 11, the, the hall of faith chapter. Chapter 11, verse 13 of Hebrews. The author is talking about these men and women who have had faith, and he takes a, a brief moment to describe what was going on. He said, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So what Jesus is saying here is, he's not saying Abraham saw Jesus. He's saying, when Abraham was given that promise by God in Genesis chapter 12 that we read, Abraham believed God and he looked forward to that day when his offspring, his descendants, would bring blessing to the rest of the nations. And Jesus is claiming that that moment, that, that time period, is his day. He saw it and was glad. So Abraham never got to see God's promise fulfilled, but he had promised that it would happen. And Jesus says that, look, Abraham, your father, who you claim is so important, he looked forward to me. That's what he looked forward to. And notice that Jesus never said that Abraham saw him again, only that he rejoiced to see his day. But the Jews see another opportunity to try and twist his words, try to undermine him again. And they say, verse 57, So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? So this is their final deception, that Jesus was just a man. Finally, they've got it, they think. After all this debate in which they can't touch his arguments or respond with any validity to his criticism, they can discredit him with a single question. When they ask him, have you seen Abraham? Think of it this way. They're, they're not crazy for thinking this if they truly believe that Jesus is a man. Let's say one of you said, remember George Washington, first president of the United States? There was a time when he looked forward to my birth That'd sound pretty ridiculous, wouldn't it? And all of your friends who are listening to you, who probably wouldn't be your friends anymore after you said that, but they would, they would, they would, they would say, were you there? You saw George Washington rejoice at, at, at knowing about your birth? You know that for certain. You know that for a fact. You were there, and you'd have to say no. That's the same thing the Jews are doing here. They're saying, Jesus. You're not even 50 years old yet. And Abraham lived hundreds, thousands of years ago. And you're saying that you've seen him? Which he didn't say, by the way. But they're trying to twist that to say, how do you know? But they've unwittingly walked themselves into a trap. And one of, if not the most dramatic reveals of all of history, and what makes this passage one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible, because Jesus says in verse 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. 
that ring any bells from the passage we read in Exodus? Jesus says, before all of Jewish history, before any of you were born, before the kingdom of Israel existed, before the judges, before Moses himself, before the tribes of Israel, before Judah, before Jacob, before Isaac, before Abraham, before Abraham was even called, before Abraham was even born, I am the name of God. And the Jews, they know what this means. And the evil in their hearts reveals itself fully and they try to kill him. Therefore, verse 59, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. He escapes because it's not time for him to be crucified yet. So perhaps as opposed to the first three deceptions that we looked at, which were deceptions into you think that you are a Christian, but you're relying on these other things. Perhaps maybe that's not you. Perhaps maybe it's more along the lines of, you're not, you're not really claiming to be a Christian. You just believe the wrong things about Jesus. Perhaps you were deceived into thinking that Jesus was not I am. Was he maybe just a man? Well, we've just seen that Jesus claimed to be God. So, he can't be a man. Or, he can't be just a man. Well then, perhaps he was a liar. Perhaps he was trying to gain a following. Perhaps he was trying to get popular. Perhaps he was trying to get people to honor him, like form a cult, and get people to, to, to worship him and, and think he was a great guy. But what, did, what, what he said just here made all of the people around him listening want to kill him. That's not something that a liar does. And ultimately, the things that he continues to say, well, what? They'll take him to the cross. So if he's a liar, well, he not a very good one from that standpoint, not in trying to deceive people. So then perhaps, was he a lunatic? Maybe he did believe the things he was saying, and he, and he wasn't lying, he was telling the truth, but he was just crazy. Well, we have record in these gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, of Jesus performing miracles. And one could even venture to say that verse 59 is a miracle in and of itself. All of the Jews in this area, he's standing right there and they close in on him to try to kill him and he vanishes because it wasn't his time to be killed yet. I think implying that if it hadn't been for God intervening, he would have been killed. A lunatic doesn't perform miracles. A lunatic doesn't turn loaves of bread into enough to feed 5,000 people. A lunatic doesn't walk on water. A lunatic certainly doesn't rise from the dead. Perhaps you've been coasting in your life up to this point, kind of enjoying the life with your family, enjoying church life, maybe not necessarily enjoying school, but having to go through it. 
and you haven't necessarily stopped to consider the claims that Jesus is making here. The Jesus that you are sitting in here listening about Sunday and Wednesday after Sunday and Wednesday after Sunday and Wednesday, he is claiming to be God. You need to deal with that. You need to either accept it or decide that you don't believe it. There is no middle ground here because either you do or you don't. You need to recognize what that is for yourself. And remember, if you are deceived as to whether you're a Christian or you're deceived about Jesus' true identity, then what does Jesus say? What did he say at the very beginning? If you are that way, if you're not a believer in Jesus, then you are enslaved. You are unable to do good, to be righteous, to love God, and God is certainly not your father. Instead, the enemy of your soul, Satan, is your father. And believe me, Satan will not let you go if he has a choice in the matter. He'll do everything to keep you deceived. So how do you become free? Well, Jesus told us in verse 31 through 32 of chapter 8. Let's go back and look at them again. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus didn't have this entire discussion with the Jews just to prove a point. He didn't even, uh, as we already saw, he wasn't in it for his own glory. He wasn't in it to make himself look great. He was there because he wanted to explain to the Jews, look, if you want to be my disciples, you need to recognize that you are enslaved. But I can set you free. My word can set you free. And you don't get it. I'm trying to explain to you that all these other things you're trusting in and believing, they're not going to do it for you. Only me. He holds the truth, and it's found in his word. And what does his word say? It says that God is holy and just, and that mankind, in comparison, is sinful, imperfect. And because God is just, and God holds a perfect standard to all humanity, every man and woman that is born is going to experience punishment for their sin. And there's no escape from that. And there's no way of getting out of that either, as Jesus explained to us. We're dead. We're enslaved. We're trapped. We can't get out. And yet, God's word says that Jesus came to take the punishment for your sin if you will respond, if you will stop trying to trust in things that aren't his sacrifice. If you will instead put faith in him and what he did and seek to turn away from your sin and pursue righteousness, trusting in him to provide that to you, trusting in what he did on the cross and that he conquered death, that he conquered sin through his resurrection. Because if you do come to him, Jesus says he will make you free. What, what did he say in verse 36? So if the son makes you free, you are free indeed. And we just sang about that. Whom the son sets free is free indeed. The Jews rejected Jesus and tried to kill him. 
And they ultimately did because they hated him. Because they preferred their life of lies. Don't make the same mistake that they did. But for the believer here, how can you know that you are truly a Christian? How do you know that you have not been deceived? Well, what did Jesus tell us? What do you think of him? Is he your Lord? Do you love him? When you, when you think about him, are there, are there, this isn't always a signal, but it's helpful. Are there emotional attachments to him when you consider who he is and what he's done for you? And as proof of that, are you obeying him and what he commands you to do in his word? Jesus says that if you are truly disciples of him, you will continue in his word. So, make sure that you're being obedient if you're a Christian. Check and see where you are in that. Check and identify whether your passions are excited about the right things. And if they are, then take courage in this, that Jesus said that whoever he saves, whoever he set free, you are free. If you're striving to pursue this, you can take courage that you are not living a life of self-deception. Instead, Jesus Christ, the God-man, I am in the flesh. The Son of God has set you free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time that we can uh, jump out of our study for a bit just to consider this conversation that you had, this very dramatic conversation that you had with the Jews. And I pray that it would impact our hearts to consider what we think about you, what we think about what it means to really be saved, how we can know, because you make it very clear we need to trust and believe in you and not anything else. In your name, amen.